This is Adoption The Long View, a podcast brought to you by Adopting.com. I'm your host, Lori Holden, author of The Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption. Join me as we take a closer look at what happens after you adopt your child and begin parenting them. Your adoption journey isn't over then, it's just beginning. In this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of thought-provoking and influential guests as we help you make the most of your adoption journey. Like any trip worth taking, there will be ups and downs and challenges. Here's what you're going to wish you'd known from the start. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to season three of Adoption the Long View. We are so excited to bring you another set of fascinating interviews with super interesting people, chock full of information you'll be glad to have early in your journey of adoptive parenting, or at least as early as today. Today, we're going to cover how to handle some of the most common and awkward adoption situations that will arise somewhere along the way. We're talking when, not if. Rare as a unicorn would be the adoptive family who never heard, you're not my real mom from their child, or are your children related from a nosy stranger, or who never tried to explain to a child why they were adopted, or who hasn't had to figure out what to do in any number of awkward, delicate, or tricky adoption situations. Adoption-related parenting matters tend to come up when you least expect them, when you're not ready for them. To kick off this season, we're going to address these and other issues that anyone would agree being prepared for makes a huge difference, not only in your confidence as a parent, but also in your relationship with your child and your child's confidence in you that you've got it, this parenting gig. Here to help me is my longtime friend in the adoption online space, a fellow writer for Adoptive Families Magazine, and a fellow presenter in the Listen to Your Mother show. Barbara Harrell is a hoot, so get ready for a very lighthearted jaunt through some very serious situations. Barbara Harrell is the founder and host of Every Family's Got One, a storytelling show, and now also a podcast devoted to true family stories. She's also a writer and blogger, mother and wife, and a recovering middle child, and you can bet she has stories to tell on that. Barbara's writing credits include Adoptive Families Magazine, Scary Mommy, and Motherly, She's a contributing author to the parenting anthology, TikTok, Essays on Becoming a Parent After 40, and she was a writer on a project very close to her adoptive mom's heart, the Navigating Adoption podcast presented by Adopt U.S. Kids. I'm so pleased to have you here with us today. Welcome, Barbara. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Lori. That was so lovely. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) It's, it's, It's wonderful to partner up for this. I know, I know. It was, uh, I, I think back to that first time at Adopted Families, like really connecting and writing that article. That was yeah, just That great. was a great collaboration. <laughs> so let's set the stage. Briefly tell us your story of becoming an adoptive mom. Well, I was one of those women who are older. (laughs) When I first started trying to get pregnant, I remember my gynecologist telling me, Barbara, don't be one of those women who try to get pregnant at 40. But, uh, you know, I did. (laughs) And uh, so it didn't go so well. And then uh, we did try one round of IVF with my older eggs. So, you know, IVF is is a numbers game. So we had like two grade A older eggs and uh, so created two embryos, but unfortunately that didn't happen either. And then it was kind of really like, where do we go from here? So we took a little time off and uh, grieved and went to therapy, 
then came back and, you know, we were still very committed to, to wanting a family. So then we chose to go down the path of uh, domestic infant adoption. And that was that. And you ended up with how many children and how old? Oh, and... well, one. <laughs> okay. You've got an only and child. I always thought I would be, um, you know, a mom of one. My husband thought two, but, you know, again, it's so funny because you don't even think at the time I was 45 when the adoption happened. And now my daughter's uh, nearly 13. You know, and I remember just a couple of years ago, you know, it's like every kid, oh, can I have a brother or sister? And then you think, oh, my goodness. Just then you really, you know, look at your age and what you're going to be. And like right now, I think, wow, you know, I'm excited about being in my 60s and going looking at colleges with my daughter and you know, so I'm on the, you know, the menopausal side and she's on the menstrual side. So we have a lot of activity. We have a lot of, you know, emotion. Oh my gosh, your poor husband. (laughs) (laughs) So you are entering the teen years and you've been doing, you've been parenting a while. So this is not a new rodeo for you. And so I know you've come up with a lot of challenging situations before, and there are so many challenging challenges of adoptive parenting that often come as a surprise. And sometimes these situations are between you and your child. And sometimes these situations involve others outside the family, a family member or a dad on the playground or a woman in the checkout line at the store. So we're going to go through some of these tricky situations and the thoughts behind how you might handle them and how we have handled them and what worked and what didn't work. So let's start first with what happens between you and your child. And we're going to start here because This is where the stakes are so high. And this is because you spend more time with your child than you do with the lady in the checkout line. So these are the ones that are going to come up more often and just have such a, such a bigger impact. So the guiding principle on all of these situations is always, always, always keep the orientation on connection and trust with your child. So if you want trust, you need to get really good at telling the truth and only the truth when questions are asked. So let's start with the the biggie (laughs) and the one that like grips our hearts with fear before we're actually like dealing with it. And then you kind of realize it's not, it doesn't have to be a big deal, but that's this one. You're not my real mom. Oh yes. Talk to me about that. You know, it's funny because I had been expecting that for years before it actually happened. You know, I'm like, wait, is this the year, you know, four, five? six, seven, seven was the year when it happened. And, you know, so it was, I had asked her to do something, pick up something. And she's like, well, you're not my real mom. And so instead of being angry, I was like, wait, but I am your real mom. And, you know, because I take care of you and, you know, I'm here with you every day. And also, uh, Kay, is your real mom because she gave birth to you and cared for you and loves you. So you have two real moms. Isn't that cool? She's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Which I still get now as a 13 year old, but um, you know, it's very, it's something that I think a lot of adoptive parents are afraid of 
And, uh, and I don't know, this really didn't throw me because I was expecting it. I mean, there are other things that have thrown me, but I, I guess I was just so tuned in, like this is going to happen and it didn't affect me. And so anyway, so what I said to my daughter was, well, listen, I know you're mad at me. So can you pick up your room? And if you still want to talk about your adoption, let's do that afterwards. And, uh, you know, I'd love to, <laughs> you know, so that's just like, ah, I'm picking up my room and <laughs> moving on. But yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things that could really rip your heart out if you allow it to, because you're thinking about yourself and not your, your child, because this, like you said before, in your opening, it's like, it's, this is, this is the truth. This is her truth. And if that statement makes you feel delegitimized in any way, and you haven't done your own work around that, then it is going to be like a stab to your heart. And you're not going to be able to respond in a connected way with your child. But I love what you did. You, instead of making it an either or, which she approached you with, perhaps as a tool to get what she wanted, not cleaning the room, and perhaps because she was thinking about adoption, and this was her way of bringing it up. But you took it from her either or, you're not you're not the one. And you made it both and, and you made it, yeah, we both are real. There's, there's not a competition here where we both, and you get outlined to her why um, you are both legitimate. And then you also made it so that if she wanted to talk about adoption, you were ready to do that. But, and then you also neutralized this tool she might've been using just to get her way. So, so she's less likely to use it again, because if you do respond to this, if your kid can knock you off your center with a, with a statement, they will use that over and over again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, it is funny because I think when there have been times when she used the word real mom, and I think that's the way kids and people talk. So I think again, from, you know, we're talking about the child, um, the inside the home now, but in the outside world too, you know, we're very sensitive to the language because, you know, if we've done our work that we're not, you know, saying real, you know, we're defining who people are, but kids and people talk like that all the time. So I think even to diffuse the real part of it is something that we have to really. And you're giving, you gave your daughters to that. Yeah. You gave her tools so that when somebody at school says, who's your real mom, Now she knows a little bit more about how to handle that because that may be where she's hearing it, certainly not inside the home. Right. Yeah, very true. Yeah, we got to do a lot of work (laughs) as adoptive parents. Yeah, yeah, we got to do our work. I think that's a fundamental (laughs) thing on that question is the more you can do your work, the less it's going to knock you over when you hear that. And you're going to be more composed and you're going to be responding instead of reacting Mm -hmm. if you've done your work. So one of the things, one of the answers that people sometimes share about the adoption story that parents sometimes are coached to do is she loves you so much. She loved you so much. She placed you for adoption. So talk to us about that. Why is that problematic? Well, I do remember I started telling her story when she was just like a little baby in my arms. And it's great when you do it that way, because you, these things come up and I remember saying it, oh, you know, telling her her story where you can make all your mistakes when they're just little babies, um, that she loved you so much. She placed you for adoption. And then it really struck me like, does someone really love you that much that they're going to give you away (laughs) to, to somebody else? So really we split that up. It's like, she loves you. 
and and then really to go into more detail about why she placed her for adoption that, you know, and it, it's any baby at that time. So, you know, that's where I first discovered, you know, when she couldn't respond back was, you know, just a little baby. So you can make your mistakes. That's one of the great things about starting very early. You get to make, you know, fumble through your story and really kind of uh get it straight in your head so that you can share it with your child. So then it was really, you know, about explaining that, you know, as she got older, that babies, you know, she made that decision because at that time she couldn't care for any baby. So it wasn't that it was just her, it, whatever baby came along, if that was her brother who was born at that time, you know, he would have been placed for adoption. So it's, it's not about her. It's about the circumstances yeah. So you've done two things on. there. One, you've depersonalized it from, it wasn't about you. It was about the situation. And we also know that when developmentally things are always about the kids. So just because we say it that way, doesn't mean it works that way, but that's how we mm-hmm. say it. And the other thing you did is you made it time. You, you put a time on it at that time. She couldn't take care of any baby. So we're trying to make it so that it, that the child feels less and less like they caused it. And the reason we don't want to say she loved you so much, she placed you for adoption is because we don't want our child to equate loving with leaving. That's a horrible template to give them for in their future relationships, their future loving relationships. That if I get too close to somebody, if they love me, they're going to leave me. So we have to do something different because that can be confusing to them. Yes, I agree. You don't want to confuse those two things. Speaking of confusing, what about when someone asks, which I love, you know, is it confusing that they have all these people in their lives? You know, isn't it confusing that, you know, they have birth parents and adoptive parents? Yeah, because people outside your decisions are not maybe on board with all this openness stuff. And so I've heard it and you've probably heard it, but what, they have four parents around? What what's up with that? Doesn't that confuse them? And I heard a great response to that from Jim Gritter at a conference about 10 years ago. And he is a pioneer in open adoption. He was a social worker who really kind of promoted this through his work and his books. And he said at this conference that this response to people who say, isn't it confusing for the child? You can say, is it your experience that to be fully informed is to be confused? Mm -hmm. Bam, mic drop. (laughs) Isn't that great? Wow. (laughs) <laughs> and here was something that I thought was interesting that I experienced with my daughter. You know, I was always told her about her birth mother, birth family, talking, you know, and one day she was a little older again, you know, like maybe six or seven. And I left off birth and I just said, mom. And she said, wait, I have two moms. And I'm like, where have you been? Yes. But even like that word, like birth mom, like what is that? You know, an aunt is an aunt, a brother is a brother, but a birth mom. And now I hear her, you know, when she talks to her friend, I I hear, oh, my other mom, when she's talking about her birth mother. So it's funny how, you know, kids, it's, it's giving them all the information. And I guess these, these words, sometimes you really do even that, like we think it's very clear, but it's, uh, you know, the more clear you can be. So you, I don't know, I would say drop the birth mom. Yeah. And every family kind of comes with the terminology that works for them. Birth mother, birth mom, birth dad is a, can be a controversial term. Not everybody likes it. Um, and the families come up with what does work inside the home 
and right. outside the home, how you explain it to others. So I think that's a really good point. And you're also making me think that with your daughter, you are sharing that over time, her understanding and her deepening of the complexity of the story changes. And the conversations that you have about adoption at three years old are different than what you have at seven and 10 and 13 and, and older. I mean, it's, it's a process for them and we kind of walk alongside them and attune to them. So we know we can tune in and find out what is required. What level of complexity can we get to at this point? Yes. And I think that's why it's so important that it's not like a one and done conversation. You really need to bring it up. And then as the kids get older, you know, they don't really want to talk about it. And they don't want to talk about anything. Yeah. 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 So you really got to build that trust and that they have to know you're comfortable going there early Mm -hmm. because later when they're not comfortable going there, it's Mm -hmm. harder. It's harder. And you still need to show that you're willing to go there. So let's let's talk about this because you've already touched on it. Some of the tricky situations we see in online groups is somebody will come in once in a while and say, when do I tell my child that they're adopted and how do I tell them? So what do you, what do you think about that? When, when do you tell you, you've already kind of alluded to this. So what's the answer to that? It's right away, right from the start. If you can't do it yesterday, then do it today. Then do it today. (laughs) Yeah. Pronto. It's just so important because it's, you know, like you said, it's building trust and, you know, and that's, like the easy thing, you know, like, and when they're little, the smaller they are, the easier it is. Because again, you know, you're just saying words, you know, and, uh, and you're really getting yourself comfortable and you're getting it down into, you know, bite-sized nuggets and you're getting comfortable with the telling of the story because it's only going to get more complex as the kids get older and you're going to share more information. So you really do have to, you know, be comfortable. You you have to be really do the work from the beginning. And that's just going to save you so much anguish. I thought Um, it was ridiculous when our social worker told us we should start telling them the story on the way home from the hospital or the agency. I thought they're three days old. They're three weeks old. What, what, what can they understand? And then when I actually did it, because I was following all the directions, um, I was like, oh, this isn't for them. This is for me. This is exactly what you said. This is so that I can get comfortable telling the story so that I can find where the sharp edges are for me so that I can polish those sharp edges and work those through with my therapist, with whoever, the parts that point, poke me, I can work those out by the time my child is understanding those frequent conversations. Professionals say that your child should not be able to remember the first time they have this conversation about why that you're adopted. It's just seamless. It's just, um, yeah. And I think that comes with, um, you know, there's so many opportunities to bring it up you know, it's funny, the birth mother seems to be like really easy because there's a lot of pregnant women in the world. And it's like, oh my goodness, look at that woman. That's how you were born. And you grew in Kay's, you know, belly. We say uterus. Uh, (laughs) In other words that, you know, my aunt did not like, no child should say vagina. Um, But (laughs) 
it's pointing out. And also if there was, you know, a blended family through, you know, divorce and remarriage or, you know, I was always like, oh, that's an interesting family too. Just like our family, this is how their family works. So it's just really making it comfortable and relatable and that every family, you know, comes together differently. So that's a really good, I love that you use the word comfortable because the more comfortable we are with the story, the better the story is going to be relayed and received. And another rule of thumb I want to talk about is that we want to have a plan to turn their whole story over to them. After all, it is the child's story. We want to turn the whole story over, warts and all, hard parts and all, by about the time they enter puberty. That's just a, a general rule. And there are, let's acknowledge, there are some parts of stories that are really hard to turn over to the child. And that's where we get some extra help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where yeah, we that's find- important too. You know, and there is so many wonderful therapists out there and also communities. Like I just love, um, well, and podcasts like, like yours, just really informative and you feel supported. You know, one of them that I really love is creating a family mm-hmm. like that is, you know, it has everybody in there. It has voices from adoptees, from families of origin, and really adoptive parents who, you know, as you know, that we had the most vocal voice. And it's really about sitting back and listening and asking your questions and getting real help. You know, like there are a lot of different ways that you can get information and feel supported, you know, as you, and feel like you're not alone. So I think that even takes the, you know, there are hard parts to a lot of stories and, you know, it's nice to know that you're going in there, you know, you're not alone. You're not the only one and that your kid will come through this and you'll come through this as, you know, that soft landing for your child. I'm really glad you mentioned creating a family. I listened to one of their podcasts just yesterday and Don Davenport does such great work there. But besides the podcast, they also have the cross triad group on Facebook. Yes. If you that happen to be on Facebook, I will try to remember to put a link to this group on the show notes where you can find all the information that we're mentioning in this episode. But one of the reasons it's really important to have a cross triad information is because when you are having these hard conversations with your child, you want to know what it's like from your child's perspective. So like you've said, Barbara, you really want to understand, begin to understand the adoptee's point of view by listening to adoptee podcasts, seeking out adoptee memoirs, adoptee blogs, adoptee books, and groups where adoptees are welcomed and valued and uh, sharing their experiences, their lived experiences. So we sometimes have people come into these groups and say something like, help, my child is six years old and I haven't told them yet they're adopted. How do I do that? And (laughs) what sometimes happens is people kind of pile on them and make them feel bad and they retreat into a hole and they'll never ask for help again. But if we were to meet them where they are, for whatever reason, this has happened, they're in the situation. How do they proceed from now? Tell them immediately. Like you said before, I think if you, you, you know, today, today is the day, make it today to tell them. And I've had some, you know, hard conversations to share. And I feel like, you know, you always think it's going to go worse than you think just because it's all, you know, it's built up. But I think kids really, or I guess I can't generalize, but I think 
a kid will take it more in stride. Like, again, the more comfortable you are with it, even though you may be nervous, you know, I think bringing up conversation, it's always important, like where you bring up the conversations to, like, you know, I find like late at night is a good time or like in the car or, you know, we've had some really interesting conversations where you don't have that like eye contact and it's just, you know, and then I've had her ask me questions. And if I didn't know the answer, I would tell her and just say, wow, that's a really great question. Let me think about it. And we'll continue the conversation when I know what I'm talking about. So it doesn't have to be all at once. It doesn't have to, you know, it it could just be, hey, you know, there's something that I really want to talk to you about and that you're adopted. Um, and this is who your parents are, and this is the information. So I think, and it doesn't have to be all in one take. So I think that's what we forget too, that you just think it has to be this, you know, it's not going to be one conversation. Again, it, it's it's for the lifetime. And I think if you ask yourself this question, you can find some clues to why it's been six years or five years or four mm. years or whatever. And you ask yourself, what has kept me from telling? And if you examine that internally and maybe talk with your partner or a trusted friend or a therapist about that, you will try to figure out where is that sharp point? What's keeping me from doing it and work that out. Yeah. And I bet that the mom had told other people that their child was adopted. Uh, You know, I've always had you know, people like, oh, does she know she's adopted? And I'm like, well, yeah, I wouldn't be talking to you. You wouldn't be the first one I'm talking to. <laughs> so I always that, you know, so I'm sure that the people who ask, who haven't told that other people know they've had these conversations with other people, but not their child because they're scared and they want to protect their child. That's where it's coming from, I'm sure. But I guess knowing that you don't have to share everything all at once and that it is a continuing conversation that I think that's a huge relief, you know, that it's it's like you don't have it's not like a dump. It's it's like just at this point, you know, a six year old only requires so much information and they probably know. I mean, there's something I'm sure because, you know, again, it's secrets. You can't keep secrets especially in today's age, you cannot keep secrets and it's your child is going to feel betrayed. Yeah. Um, That's really what it's, what it's going to come down to. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for anybody who wants to know more about this particular question of how do I tell my child time has passed and how do I tell the post I wrote is called, why do we suck at adoption telling? And (laughs) it's, um, it talks about this concept of sorites, which is a Latin word for heap, S-O-R-I-T-E-S. And it's based on this idea that I got from the New York Times ethicist that a heap means like no grain of sand is in itself a heap of sand. But if days go by, if grains of sand pile up, eventually you have a pile or a heap. And then you have on top of the problem of not telling, now you have the second problem of time going by without telling and that broken trust, like you say. So that'll, that'll be in the show notes that you can find on uh, lavenderlose.com and on adopting.com where we keep all the show notes. So let's go to another inside question, which is, um, Barbara, talk to us about some of the ways that you can include your child's birth family in your daily life, whether birth parents happen to be in the picture or not. Well, 
we have an open adoption and with and I know that there so our open adoption is that meaning that we unfortunately with COVID we haven't been there to see them but we actually go and we have family trips uh, yearly family trips back and we spend time together and we take pictures and everything so you know we have a lot of family pictures. So we put all the family pictures together. So it's our immediate little family and our, you know, grandma and grandpa and birth family. So everybody's on, you know, the same shelf, (laughs) you know, when she comes home, like for instance, and has a great, you know, she's really good in math. And I know that her birth mom was really good in math too. So I'm like, wow, you know, and I share that with her. I'm like, you know, Kate was really good at math too. So that's where you get it from. And just to really make those connections, like how she moves and sense of humor and where she, you know, gets that from and what it reminds me of. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you're gorgeous. You're just, you look so much like you're, you know, you're Kay. And, um, and she also, we have cousins that we keep in touch with and like, you know, they, I don't know, way they run, they all like run similar and she has siblings. So, you know, we just, we just talk about them a lot. Or if something comes up on the television about adoption or about, you know, a certain situation, we talk about it, you know. So let me ask, why? Why are you seeking these ways to bring in birth family, even if your daughter is not doing it? Um, Because I want her to uh, know that, you know, when she does want to talk to me, I'm open to it that, you know, I'm not going to be defensive about it or upset, um, you know, that she can come to me. And I also tell her, you know, she can talk to, she doesn't have to just talk to me. You know, we have friends who we didn't really have to go too far, thankfully, like right in our own community. You know, I didn't have to seek out other adoptive families because they were right here. You know, so I let her know, like, if you don't want to talk to me, you can talk to, you know, because sometimes when, especially when you're turning 13, you don't want to talk to mom, you know, so it's, it's other people she can turn to and have a conversation if she's more comfortable. So by kind of dropping these pebbles, so to speak, you Mm -hmm. are signaling to your daughter that you're willing to go there with her on these things when they come up for her, right? Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, I can't imagine that she would go through this alone, like, you know, have to stop her life. Like, even if you don't have the information, I really would go and seek out that information, any information that I could get from my child, any connection, I would do the work now because I cannot imagine her having to stop her life when she's supposed to be thinking about going to college and excitement and being on her own, that she's going to stop her life and say, I have to find out about me. Who am I? Who, who are my people? Where, where do I get this trait from? Why am I left-handed or whatever it is, you know? And that just, I could cry right now because it would break my heart to know that she would do that by herself. So I feel like really, truly, and I, and I think that, you know, families don't realize that because you are in that baby, ah, the baby and everything is an extension of you, you really, and the baby, and you don't think about that. It really is about forming the, their identity right from yeah. the beginning. Yeah. So Lori, you have two children. Right. So that, how does that work? 
<laughs> yeah. One of the challenges that happens inside our home with, with two kids is when, as, as many families will attest, sometimes one child has more birth parent contact than another. It's just not equal. And so the challenge is you have one child feeling really sad and one child feeling really, you know, having different, different feelings. And so what do you do? People ask this all the time. What do you do when, when you can't make it equal? And the rule of thumb that I tell people, there's lots of rules of thumb today, is that you, parents do this anyway in other arenas. They do it with one child making the soccer team and the other not, one child making the advanced math class and the other not. And you find the ways to do it. And granted, an adoption situation is much more emotionally complex and intense than the other ones that we talked about. But what you do in these situations is you can't make it equal. You can't raise the level for one and you shouldn't lower the level for the other. So all that's left really is to give space for the big feelings. Don't say it's okay. Don't minimize. Just abide with your child and be with them and do anything that you can to remain open and welcoming to the entrance or the, uh, the more contact with your child's birth parents. I call that an open door adoption. If, if, uh, if, a, if a birth parent has exited or was never there, find ways to keep the porch light on, so to speak. So that was a really, really good question. Thanks for asking. The second batch of situations that I want to get into real quick it, um, are about others, people outside the home. Sometimes clueless people, sometimes probing people, people who may have an antiquated idea of what adoption is and what adoption should be. And in these cases, we can choose to gently educate them or not. And one of the frameworks that I like to use is from the Center for Adoption Support and Education, or CASE. They have something called the Wise Up Program, which I included in my book. It's on page 92 of the Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption for those of you following along at home. And let's go, let's figure out what the Y's stands for. The W stands for walk away. And in that case, you just don't answer. I know that you're going to deflect or change the subject or just literally walk away is one of your options. The I in Y's up means it's say it's private and you just kind of set a boundary there. The S means you share something with discretion. You're never going to just spill, but with some discernment, you may share something about your situation. And the E stands for educate. And here's where you might educate with general information about adoption in general, maybe not about your specific situation, your family. Another strategy outside of Wise Up would be to use humor when somebody asks you a probing or a kind of a clueless question. Do you have an example, Barbara, of using humor to... <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, well, I remember one time we were in the library. It's a great place when you have a little kid. Uh, a lot of programs. They had this whole big play date space downstairs. 20 kids, moms running around. And I remember one mom like yelled across the room, hey, how come she's got blonde hair? Where did that come from? And, you know, I have brown hair, which... I'm like, all right, and you know, I'm not going to yell across the room. Hey, she's adopted, you know. So I was like, well, it runs in the family, you know. So, and that was it. And it was like, ah ha ha, and you know, chasing after your kids. So that's it, great. And you didn't really disclose anything. 
(laughs) No, I didn't. And, you know, and of course, you know, with that mom in like a smaller, you know, grouping, I probably would have shared, you know, like, oh, you know, because I, you know, knew that particular mom or got to know her. So it really does, you know, it really is about who's doing the asking and why and the intention and the feeling. But also I think, you know, as the years have gone by, you know, I am more comfortable educating, you know, kind of, you know, switching it around from there or, you know, or not educating, depending on that, that situation. You had one, I thought that was really funny. When someone oh, yeah, had somebody asked had asked about me, adoption, how much did it cost or how much did she Yeah, you know, how much did cost? she cost? And, <laughs> and this is one of the strategies you can use is to reframe. And you can say, I said, um, are you asking me how much the services cost? Because we paid a social worker to check us out and we paid legal fees and everything. But then I followed up with, uh, how much did your C-section cost? (laughs) (laughs) Zing. Humor. (laughs) Yeah, so in all of these situations, what we're trying to do with whatever strategy we use, wise up, humor, deflecting, whatever, is to develop healthy boundaries around what is and isn't okay for people to ask us and what is and isn't okay for us to answer. And so you've mentioned several times just in, while we've been talking, Barbara, about being comfortable. So mm-hmm. we have to become so secure and so comfortable with our story that we can be nimble on our feet when these things come up and we can do that on the spot discernment in the moment. And another strategy I want to bring up is turning it back around on the person and ask, hmm, why are you asking? So that Let's them know maybe you're you're getting close to my boundary without having to say you're getting close to my boundary. Yes. So let's look at a couple of these situations that involve people outside our family. Like people ask probing questions. Like you probably get this. Is she an only child? Yes, I do get that a lot. And so when she was very little, I, you know, again, depending on if I'm running to the store, where I am, or if I maybe got into a deeper conversation, I would say, you know, no, she's an only child. And then as because uh, my daughter has siblings, birth siblings, that she was the only one who was adopted. So that you know, when we talk about them and she talks about them, we talk to them. And, you know, so I would always take, so if she was in hearing distance, you know, I would always take a step back and let her, because she would usually jump in like, yeah, I have a brother and sister. And I remember like the first time, you know, it's like, oh, you're a busy mom. And, you know, she's like, no, they live in Indiana. And I'm like, oh, and I like broke out into a sweat. Like now I'm going to have to go into this whole explanation. And they were like, oh yeah, my husband, his children. Are it's like, okay. Sometimes I'm it's like, not as big as you think. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Right. So you get so, because you have this whole thing and, you know, and it's very, you know, especially nowadays again, because families are so different and, And also you think, well, would have been, you know, even if it did go down that path, I feel like it would have been, you know, a good conversation anyway, or, you know, very short and more educational because I I definitely do educate. And I think a lot of people's questions, you know, I think in the beginning, especially, you know, we take very, you know, offense because we're still working out, you know, what we're comfortable with, what we're not, what am I over? I don't know. Should I even say anything about she's adopted? I don't know. And then we get more comfortable and you realize that people really just don't know the words. So it comes off. And I think you really do have to 
you know, give that grace, just like in those, you know, online things, you know, in the community, when someone asks about this question, you don't want to scare people away because this is good. You want them to understand about adoption and because that's, you know, they're, we're all around adoptive families are everywhere. You get the question about the only child when they're really, and I get the question about the siblings. (laughs) Yeah. I get the one, are they related? And when people ask me that, I sometimes reframe it and say, are you asking me if they're biologically related? Because of course, this is my son. This is my daughter. We're a family. We are related. But I think what you're asking me is, do they have the same birth parents? And then I choose whether or not I want to tell this person anything. <laughs> yeah. Based, just based on how it feels. Does this person feel safe to me? Is this person important to me? So let's go into how do we find that line between sharing and oversharing of our child's story. You mentioned before that we don't want to keep secrets. We, we want to find that line between secrecy and privacy. So secrecy means we're not telling our child. Privacy means we're telling our child and we're protecting their story. They're caretaking their story until they can be their own guardian of their story. So how do you figure out what to share and what not to share? What are some guidelines? Oh, To, uh, well, I think it's, um, you know, I think what you said is about safety. You know, I used to think boundary was uh, such a bad word because it was always used in this connotation of like, oh, like cutting off relationships, um, you know, setting these very strict boundaries. But we have boundaries in every relationship. (laughs) We need them. And, you know, with strangers, you don't owe them anything. But I really do take it from, you know, I think you get like a gut feeling whether someone is, you know, sincere and not trying to, I don't know, just have some kind of argument or, you know, you don't know where they may go with it, but I think people are mostly sincere. And, um, you know, so I focus, I usually focus on not my particular child story. I don't tell anything about their story, but I open it up to more, like you had said before, general you know, kind of like, well, an adoption, because, you know, they're very interested in, you know, birth family, like the drama or, you know, the, the inside scoop. And that's nobody's business. Just like, you know, again, you can turn it around that, you know, they're not going to tell you about their, you know, problems, their C-section. Their family, <laughs> right, their C-section. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to put in the show notes, another post that I wrote on this with some more information. And I, there are three questions that you can ask yourself in this moment as part of this discernment process to find the line between sharing and oversharing or oversharenting, I think is what I called it in the post. The first question <laughs> is, does the person need to know? And the answer doesn't tell you which, whether to tell or not, but the asking the question is the important part. Figure, asking yourself the question, because um, it can be yes, it can be no, but think it through. The second question is, why are you wanting to tell? Is it going to help your child in some way, or is it to make yourself feel special in some way? And I'm not saying that either of those are good or bad, just that you need to look at it to inform your decision in this moment, whether you're going to share. The third question is to try to figure out if there might be any repercussions from telling, not just now, but in the future, maybe uh, you know, a month from now, a year from now, five years from now. Think it th- through from your child's perspective. From you know, So those are the three questions to ask before you squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube in any of those moments, because you can't get it so back perfect. in. Perfect. 
Yeah, <laughs> that is a perfect visual. Breathing <laughs> the toothpaste yeah. and yeah. get it back in. Yeah, I, I mean that's how I start like blogging, you know. And then you get to a point, and it's like, oh my god, this is isn't it amazing how many adoptive parent bloggers fall off <laughs> at some yes. point when their kids are finally like, stop talking about me. <laughs> it was. I remember it was even before that. I woke up. I mean, it was waking up in a sweat. Again, she was little and I was like, oh my God. And not that like every post would be like, is this, what am I, you know, very, it was so hard. And then it was like, oh my God, I'm just, you know, and that's when I moved more to the the articles and interviewing you share a little bit like about me, like it was so much easier to share about just my feelings about something, but it's. And it's you bring hard. up something really important is that sharing on the sidelines of a soccer game with verbally with somebody is very different than putting something in writing online somewhere yes. because that never goes away. So you have right. to be extra, extra discerning with anything yes. that you're putting online. Barbara, we've been able to cover quite a few situations and now it's time for our last question. And this is the question that all season three guests are going to get. From your perspective as an adoptive mom who's been two arenas for a very long time, you've been in the adoptive parenting arena and you've been learning from cross triad groups for many years. What is the most important piece of the long view of adoption that people tend to miss on the front end? Well, I think that is, it is about the baby. A hopeful and newly adoptive parents, it's all about baby. It's Who doesn't stay a baby. Doesn't stay a baby. That's the thing. And you, you know, so the baby is not an extension of yourself. Like, but originally that's how it starts. And you wake up and you're not thinking about this child's identity. And that I think is the most important thing that you're not thinking, you know, I remember getting her birth certificate, her new birth certificate, not her original and it, I was so thrilled. I had my name on it as mom, but that's, that's not her identity. That's not her whole identity. It's missing her family of origin. And, you know, so, I mean, a birth certificate that really should be about the child. So I think that's the, the whole thing. It, it, it's my wish for them is to know to start. So it's telling the story. It's connecting with the birth family that she knows her whole story because just my family is not her whole story. So she needs to really have her whole identity. And I think I, I love that you've kind of summed this all up in the word identity and poor adopted people, their identity is, has more pieces. Yes, They have their family of origin and they have the family that is raising them. And so all of those pieces, the more we can integrate and collect and help process for our child by being open and inviting and willing to go there and comfortable with a story. I think that helps them have the best chance they can at building a healthy identity. So thank you for that. It's been so wonderful to have you here, Barbara. Thank you for going through all those situations with me. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Lori. This has been a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah, we've had a good time. A special thanks to adopting.com for producing and sponsoring this podcast. With each episode of Adoption the Long View, we bring you guests who expand your knowledge of adoptive parenting. Please subscribe, give this episode a rating, and share with others who are on the journey of adoptive parenting. Thanks to each of you for tuning in and investing in your adoptions long view. May you meet everything on your road ahead with confidence, 
capability and compassion.